off, we're gonna tear the roof off, the mother sucker. Tear the roof off, the sucker. Sometimes I think what I need is a you and a Cause I'm a freak, baby. Everything's coming up. Everything's coming up. Welcome to Two Daydream Believers Podcast. I'm your host, Space Surfin 18 and tonight we are discussing home, and I have with me two guests. Um, tonight I have Slayer Kitty. Hello. And Etsy Kerouac. Hi, everyone. All right. Okay, so kicking it off, um, the theme of this episode is home. You know, believe it or not. And um, all of the plots in this episode kind of center around, center around kind of that theme of finding a home. We can dig right into I, I kind of want to just start with the, the Kurt Sadie's subplot, um, just because it's a little bit uh, separate from the rest of the Kurt stuff. So, um, so, yeah, let's go ahead and jump into that. You can never have too much Kurt Sadie's, in my opinion. I, I love I them. Gotten how close they used to be. I know it's one of the things that makes me saddest about the series is that they drifted away from that relationship that I thought built them up, built them both up so much. And in my fantasy land thoughts, they are still super close, and I refuse to let go of that. <laughs> I'm sure they are. We just don't see it. I mean, <laughs> they're still doing things, and, and maybe they're hosting their own show on Bravo now. <laughs> oh, the I amount hope... of money I would pay for that? Oh, I know, right? <laughs> I kind of hope that, you know, 40 years in the future, they have a sort of Golden Girls setup where you have Ooh. a house with Mercedes and Kurt and Blaine, and they're all being old and fabulous together, and I would I would watch that. I would watch that, too. <laughs> Sam could be there, and he'd be the... <laughs> oh, poor Sam. Sam would be adorable, but he'd be like a geriatric pool boy, and it would be amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's perfect. I love that. It would basically be Glee, but in a Miami retirement community. There you go. <laughs> oh, we've got this new Bravo show. We should pitch it to Bravo right now. <laughs> hey, come on now. What was it? TV landed hot in Cleveland. Someone will watch it. Exactly. Oh, and I mean, the Hallmark Channel basically reshows 12 hours of Golden Girls, which I admit, when it's on and I'm at home and I catch it, I'm very happy to see it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, yeah, jumping in a, a little bit of the, the plot. Well, first of all, Sue has them in, in her um, office here. And um, she, I, the one thing I like about Mercedes right off in the scene is that she's um, really cool about her, her body image. And, well, I mean, and Sue kind of 
I don't know. She kind of erodes at that a little bit. But I, I, I love that Kurt's like, you know, don't be ashamed of your body. And she's like, oh, no, I don't want to start a sex riot. <laughs> They're incredibly supportive of each other. Yes, and she did not have any confidence issues where that was concerned. And that's always really nice to see. Because, Lord knows, I wasn't and most teenagers aren't. No, and I I think it's great that, I think, you know, it's such a shame Mercedes didn't have more of a role because she's such an inspiration going back and just like, here's this heavyset woman um, and she's like, yeah, or this heavyset teen at this point and it's like, yeah, whatever, I, I, you know, I'm curvy and I like that and, and, you know, I'm not going to fit into one of your tiny little cheerleading uniforms. I know what, you know, looks good on me and I'm going to own that. She owns who she is and I think that that is such a wonderful statement to have oh on. <laughs> Sorry, I inadvertently turned something on. That's okay. <laughs> we can edit that out. <laughs> I hit a button on my phone and Pandora turned on. Was it Bravo picking up our show? <laughs> That's what it was. You know, they didn't even need to see a pilot. It's automatic first season pickup. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good that Andy Cohen is listening on. He's like, yes, I need that. <laughs> oh, I love it. But yeah, I love I loved that Mercedes owns everything about herself. You know, she is a woman and she owns that. She is African-American and she owns that. She is fat and she owns that. And there is nothing about her that people are able to hold against her at this point. And I love that that's on a network TV show that people can see and say, yes, this is something that I don't get to see very often. And it's something that is so desperately needed to be positively portrayed. Right. And I, I love that the Sue character in this, Sue's character in this is, she's kind of like society saying, you know what, you need to lose weight because you need to fit this standard. And that's, you know, something that she kind of, you know, Mercedes kind of goes through in this entire episode. Um, and interestingly, I mean, when you think of how Kurt reacts, he kind of follows Sue in, in some respects in this, like, okay, well, I want to remain popular. I want to remain, you know, not getting thrown in dumpsters. You know, I'm going to try and, you know, lose 10 pounds like she told me to. I think that, and, I think that Kurt has a taste of fitting in, and it's very seductive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, we well, see it later on when Brittany and Santana are drinking basically maple syrup and sand. Like, of course, course being popular is seductive. Why wouldn't you want to do that? And I think that that Kurt is having this moment of, well, if if I do this, then maybe a lot of these troubles will go away. Um, And Mercedes doesn't seem to have, doesn't seem to be as easily susceptible to it in this episode. I think that it sort of plays into, though, the theme of the episode, especially with Kurt's other plots, is... He's doing whatever he can, desperately looking for that place, you know, home. So, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. he, he wants to fit in at school, and he wants the the quasi-happy family at home, and, you know, and, and he's really doing whatever it takes, sometimes a little too far, <laughs> to get that. He's looking for the stereotypical trappings of American life that we have been told are the most important things. You know, the leave it to beaver nuclear family, the right. popular cheerleading 
everybody enjoys me, thinks that I'm attractive, thinks that I'm popular ethos in high school. And I think that he's being confronted with what he sees are opportunities to grab at all of Mm -hmm. that. Maybe even going for that, you know, cheerleader dates the quarterbacks thing. Exactly. I'm just saying. <laughs> exactly. You know, he... And, you know, that never occurred to me until just now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hey, I'm always glad to show some perspective, even if, <laughs> you know, like seven years later. <laughs> <laughs> that is why we are here, though. <laughs> uh Okay. But no, yeah, that, and it's interesting, I, I think that it's also, because Mercedes could easily have, like, body issues or, you know, um, and and with the way Sue um, states things, you know, she she threw it at Kurt, too, that, hey, you know, you could stand to lose some pounds, and then for Kurt, I don't even think it's a really necessarily a, a body image issue, it is coming from this, you know, I've gotten this taste of what it's like to be popular, and I want to hold on to that. More so than um, I need my, you know, I don't know. There, I, I don't even know if I'm making sense, but yeah, I guess in my perspective, you know, for me it was like, oh, I need to look a certain way and and fit in, um, and and you know, but I don't necessarily see Kurt having the same kind of body issue. I also really appreciate that that Sue is being presented as the ridiculous one in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Because, so, I mean, so often in media, they're saying, you know, oh, you need to lose 10 pounds, or you need to pose a certain way, or you need to dress a certain way, and that's being presented as, well, society is just taking care of you, because, you know, we're all looking out for the best for you. But in this scene, Sue is being presented as ridiculous and over the top, and why on earth would you be asking her to wear a skirt that she is uncomfortable with when she looks damn fine in pants? Right, right. So, and I like how I, I Mercedes' plotline isn't that big in this episode. I like how it, it wraps up, and she sings beautiful, and it's this really gorgeous moment of self-acceptance and, you know, relating to her um, friends and her classmates on, hey, we're teenagers and we all look ridiculous and awful and we're growing and whatnot, and that Sue is presented as being in the wrong, too, especially when she's, like, um, talked back to by the, the reporter mm-hmm. that comes in. Every time that Amber Riley opens her mouth to sing, it's just a reminder of how tragically underused she was throughout the entire series. Because her voice is like just magic. Her voice is great, but they didn't know what else to do with her. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the problem they have a lot with um, anybody who's not Rachel. <laughs> Well, and, and, and let's be even in later years, anybody who's not Rachel, anybody who's not Finn, anybody who's not Kurt, anybody who's not Blaine, they really struggled with the rest of the supporting cast. So I think that she sort of disappeared a lot, both See, figuratively and, sure and then they, literally later on. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not even sure that they knew how to use Blaine in certain situations. Because there were certain situations where it worked great, and there were certain situations where you're like, did you just pull a plot out of a hat? <laughs> well, was, was it plot and I, Yeah, and and well, and there it, I remember a lot of the uh, jukebox Blaine stereotypes too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there sometimes maybe they just had him around, just like Mercedes. She was always good for a, right. an amazing song. She opened her mouth, and everybody was like, "That's that's amazing." And then. But they didn't have anything. Right. They didn't really tell any stories with her beyond that, season you know, one. 
Oh, yeah. I, I was going to add, actually, um, you know who the... Uh, uh, Mercedes gets a shaft, and I will totally support, you know, everybody, you know, saying she should have done more. But it's interesting. I think Artie gets the biggest music to no, um, no storyline ratio. I feel like he's always... They had no idea what to do with Artie. No, no idea what to do well, with I him think, at all. I think it was a big consequence of them building the show originally as Rachel, Finn, and Will, and, you know, a whole cast of high school characters that would just come and go. And I think right. that they, for better or for worse, lucked out with some amazing cast members who did phenomenal things with scraps. And you mm-hmm. have people who are watching who are all of a sudden relating to to people like Mercedes and Artie and Tina and Mike. And they mm-hmm. never had any indication and never had any intention in the beginning of exploring them. And so you have this kind of, well, people, they're popular. People like them. We should bring them out more into the forefront, but never having any real idea how to make it a true ensemble piece where everybody was given, given quality storylines. Yep. Well, and in, interestingly, I think in the same vein, um, musically, like they, they knew that, you know, Amber could sing and, and, um, you know, and Artie has songs and Blaine has songs, but at the same time, they didn't know what to do with Kurt's voice or Chris's voice. Right. So he doesn't sing a lot, which is unfortunate because his voice is great and there are a lot of things you could do with it. So it's interesting how these, a lot of these things seem unbalanced because I think the writers were struggling really to know what to do with it. They're not very good with unique musical talents. Yes. Um, So if it's not the... If it's not mainstream... Barbara Broadway. Pop or... Yeah, yeah, Barbara Broadway. They don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And they try. They do. It doesn't always work, but I guess they tried. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes they tried. And then sometimes they just forgot about people for six episodes. You're like, well, where did you go? It's like, oh, no, no. Where did Joe go? They're sitting in the back of the room, I promise. just, you know, appeared out of thin air. And I remember one time Tina disappeared for an entire episode, and I didn't even notice. Right. And that's not my fault. That's their fault. The cast got unwieldy in later seasons. There were just too many of them, and they never... They never graduated anybody. No, and the unfortunate thing was that with, I, I think the season three has um, the problem with this is they tried to service everybody's plotline, and everybody got like an episode. Right. Yeah. And it was unsatisfying across the board. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, they, so. they really should have just they should have graduated people every year when they wrapped up their storylines. Like as much as I love. Um, Diana Agron, they should have finished her storyline after the pregnancy storyline. Yeah, um, it was it was a great meaty part for it. They could have had her graduate and go to college, and they could have brought in you know Sam after that. But they kept adding people without actually having anybody graduate. At the same time, I don't think they really like you know as fans we all grow attached to these characters, and to suddenly be like, okay, we're going to graduate half of them and bring in these new people. I mean, no disrespect to the newbies. I, you know, people want to, you know, continue those stories of these characters that we loved. I mean, those stories weren't really over. So, that, yeah. But right, it was, it was anyway. a they made in the beginning that if we're going to keep everybody around, this is the group of people that you're going to get attached to. So, these are the group of people that we want to follow along. So, let's right. follow them. 
All right, well, getting back to you. So, <laughs> after our we diversion. <laughs> I know, and I have to be like, you know, mean teacher that gets us back on track. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're going to say these things beautiful. Um, and uh, you know what? Here we should. I want to mark this down because I don't think it happens very often. Um, Kurt apologizes. Oh, true. And says he's sorry and that he was wrong. <laughs> he does not like to admit when he is wrong. No, he does not. So. I think part of that is because he spends the generous portion of his formative years defending himself from people always saying he's wrong because of his sexuality, because of his tendency to be maybe a little more feminine than some of the other boys, because, you know, he likes to have a tea party, so he's constantly saying, I'm not wrong, you're wrong. Yep. Right, so that oh, get to he is point wrong, <laughs> he has a hard time admitting it because, mm-hmm. well, you know, they're wrong about everything else. Why can't they be wrong about this? It's a show of weakness that I, he has a hard time with because there have been so many moments where he's shown some little bit of vulnerability and gotten smacked down. Right. And, and so you have this, well, I'm not going to swallow my pride. I'm, I'm not wrong. You're just misguided. But on the yep. flip side of that, I mean, <laughs> later on, and we see it later on, he never really learns that balance. No, he doesn't. It's it's, yeah. it's an inherent flaw in his character, but I still love him. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, when makes him great characters, he has these flaws, so, and he's also stubborn, he really is. Yes. <laughs> It's one of those he, things that you just have to admit. He, you're never going to hear him say, well, I was wrong, but, you know, he may stop ignoring you, or he may bring you a cupcake, or he may, you know, share a solo <laughs> with you. And you just have to kind of extrapolate that that's him saying, I'm sorry, I was out of line here, we're good again. Yep, unless you're Mercedes. I think that Mercedes can get away with it. Yeah, well, I don't think Mercedes I put up with a lot of public, You know, just pick one. Yep. <laughs> I don't think Mercedes put up with a lot of it. I think that she was one of the few people who was willing to call him out on it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, this might just be a little bit of fan-wanking versus terrible writing on the writer's behalf, but (laughs) maybe in some ways that is why they pulled apart from each other, because she was unwilling to let him get away with things that he wanted to get away with, whereas maybe other people didn't care as long as it didn't stop them from getting away with what they wanted to get away with. I don't think that's a terrible interpretation. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that is on the money in my mind. (laughs) Oh, man. Because, I mean, mean, even later on down the road, like when he meets Blaine and he's telling Mercedes about it, it became a thing for them and she was not that enthused. Oh, no. So, I, and it's sadly, in some ways, Blaine sort of seems like the nail in the coffin of their friendship. I know, and I want to but chalk that's that up to poor for a later podcast. <laughs> I'm going to chalk that up to poor writing. Are we doing the substitute now, or are we doing the <laughs> What are we doing, guys? Okay. This is a double podcast. No. All right. It's the problem of doing it after the fact is that we have so many feelings based on so many years that they're just itching to come out. 
No, but that's okay. That's one reason why I really, because I had um, somebody asked me before a podcast, do you want to include spoilers? And I'm like, yeah. That's, I mean, I'm sorry. I, if y'all haven't seen it by now, it is too late. Yeah. Well, and also, like, it, you know, it's so cool to go back and, and actually is, extrapolate, you know, oh, wow, I, seeing this in, in, in the hindsight of seeing the whole story, I just think it's a really cool thing. So. And, you know, they, I mean, it's cliche that hindsight is twenty twenty, but in a sense, I mean, it's true. And when you do see the whole picture, you can see where the breakdowns of certain things happen, you know, and how they led to further plots down mm-hmm. the road and how one thing maybe affects something later on down the line. It really seemed like a little one-off kind of thing when it happened, but then, you know, later on, it's like, oh, wow, okay, so now it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Right, and on the other side, but- I find that rewatching it, I get less angry at plot holes. I get less angry at um, some of the poor choices they made. It's like, eh, it turns out fine, it's fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think often you I get... I can chalk this up to bad writing. You weren't intending to do anything. It was just you yeah. had a bad day. <laughs> Also, you get my favorite thing, little gems, like in Acafella's Mercedes telling Kurt that she, he and Rachel will have loud babies. Oh, man. Yeah. And then, you know, like six years down the line, or eight years down the line, however long it is, I can't do math, just like the writers. Uh, <laughs> you know, she's giving birth to his and Blaine's baby. I mean, and I'm sure it'll be loud. It's okay. <laughs> The writers do math just as well as they do geography. <laughs> because all of Ohio is basically in one tiny town. I mean, come on. Well, oh, and, yeah. That's... I mean, I, I this is, I think, relatively common knowledge, but I'm in Ohio. It is logistically impossible <laughs> to travel the miles that they traveled. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. There's and being a, um, <sighs> your neighbor to the north, I, I can contest to that. <laughs> I, 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 I we, refer to, we refer to it as gleography because it is gleography. no way. I love how quickly they, like, jet over to New York in later seasons. I know. Like, no, I just came over for the day. It was like, y'all, I it's live in D.C. I am pretty it's, close to New York, but It is no. not a thousand miles. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, I Googled it. it was, it's a thousand miles from where I am. <laughs> it's like, okay. From I'm 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 basically centralized Ohio, so it's like five to six hundred miles. You could be there between six and eight hours. You could do it in a day, but you aren't doing anything else once you get there. No, you are right, not. Exactly. <laughs> yep. That is just pa- it's it's painful for me to think no. about that. And so on a rewatch, you just go, it doesn't matter. None no. of that actually matters. That is not the important part. You can forget that. <laughs> well, or it becomes a joke, and it's just funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they they made jokes about it. I mean, Sue would constantly be like, "Whatever, you know, jet you're on to get over to New York all the time, or whatever she says to Blaine." <laughs> that magical train that pulls out of Lima and goes right into. You know, that you know what? or whatever, wherever they got off the train at, I don't even know. And he's the type of character who would have Aladdin's magic carpet, and it would just take him <laughs> straight to Kurt. And I don't understand why we can't just accept that. Of course he's flying carpet there. I don't know why I have a magic carpet. I don't know why anybody else has a magic carpet. Have you ever noticed that these things just happen to me? 
You know what? He's a Disney prince and he just scatters glitter as he goes from Lima <laughs> or wherever he actually lives. Lord <laughs> knows, nobody ever actually knows that to New York. Oh man. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Back to home. Back <laughs> because Blaine's not in this episode. We're, we're a bad combination. We are. A bad combination. We should, you know. I knew this was going to take two hours. So. Oh. Oh, okay. So going back. Um. Before we move on to the actual plot line, I wanted to say plot. Not um, plot. That one last thing about Mercedes' story. Uh, did you guys notice? Or just in your general rewatching of season one, whenever Mercedes has a plot, Kurt's like right there with her. But whenever Kurt has a plot, Mercedes is really absent from it. I mean, I hadn't noticed that until you have until you said that, and you are completely right. And I think that falls again under the they didn't know how to work an ensemble comedy. And I and I say the only thing I can really attribute to like is you know bad writing. Yeah. I mean, because they just had too many characters and no way to work her into some of those scenes. Well, and I wondered, too, if it was a matter of they wanted to keep Kurt alone. Because, I mean, he's dealing with, you know, possibly the loss of his dad and the alienation of his crush. And that, you know, skipping all the way to the end, um, that moment when he's, like, out on the outside of that window... I mean, yeah, he could be sure. Mercedes talking to her about it, but he's not. He's alone, and I think I think that the writers really enjoyed sad Kurt. Oh and yeah, so, anything they could do that made yeah. Chris Colfer cry because he has a like, really pretty cry face. I mean, yes, he let's does. be honest. There are some people, myself included, who when who they cry, cry, it just looks like Vander you got slapped. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's just. And, and to be fair, I mean, when you're that upset, you know, if you ugly cry, you go ahead and ugly cry. But oh, yeah. But when, when has he a does pretty it, cry he pretty cries. And, and I think that the writers really enjoyed inflicting that sort of emotional pain on him. And unfortunately, from the beginning, they built it up as that he and Mercedes have this very close relationship. And so if they put Mercedes in the scene, she would fix things. And yeah. so you kind Make of have to not feel so crappy. Right. And not so alone. And so you have to kind of make sure that she's not there to keep sad Kurt. Mm. Well, and the other interesting thing I thought about with with her plot line in respect to Kurt, but also a little bit of Quinn, is that the resolution for her plot did not come from Kurt. Mm-hmm. It came from Quinn and mm-hmm. then later, Kurt apologizes, and that's the kind of the end of the whole situation. Kurt's not the one making her feel better. It's Quinn who makes her feel better. Right. So it's really interesting to see, for as close as they are, he never really comes back. And other than that apology, which shocked we even got that to some degree, <laughs> he never really early. goes any further with it or tell you know tells her, you know... Well, and I also have to wonder, and I, I almost feel a little bad saying this, is that as a result, I wonder if Kurt and Mercedes, their friendship, there's a lot of great foundation and support there, but it may not be as deep as other, some of other Kurt's other friendships, if that makes it all sense. No, it totally makes sense. And I think that if... 
if it had gone on longer, I think that they would make great adult friends as well. Mm-hmm. I think that um, once they got once they got their personal crap worked out, <laughs> <laughs> and well, I feel like sometimes... realizes that maybe I should think of other people besides just me. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> Kurt? I love No, I'm just kidding. I love Kurt. However, I love Kurt. we love him so much. Um, I he has like, a singular uh, focus a lot of times. He really does. Um, I feel like maybe sometimes, and, and I don't know how much this really comes across, or if maybe I'm kind of grasping here, that they were friends because they didn't really have any other friends, and they sort of had some common interests. So they had something to talk about with each other, so they gravitated towards each other, but they didn't really, like, do you know what I'm trying to say? Right. Yeah. Well, that's, they were that's friends really... of convenience rather than diehard besties. And I think that's kind of why the split happens in The Substitute, because Kurt finally, you know, has somebody to talk about a lot of the, like, really, like, I don't. I don't even know how to put this, but like the stuff it, that he things that interest him and are important about. to him. Yeah, right. And I mean, it doesn't mean that he and Mercedes are less of friends. It really. I mean, they do stay friends throughout the rest of the different series. Different kinds of friends. Different. Yeah. But I think well, I. I count a lot of that up to bad writing as well. I don't. Oh think well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> really, at the bottom of it, it probably is. Most yeah. Bad. It depends on which way you know. It's kind of fun to try and take that bad writing and work around it and see what you can I, pull I out. Can of make, it. I can make their bad writing work for a lot of things, but for the Kurt <laughs> Mercedes friendship, I, I can't really make it work because when they're together, it makes sense that they're together. It makes sense mm-hmm. that they're friends. It makes sense from you know a general uh experiences standpoint that they would uh attract each other and that they would stay in each other's orbit and i think that a lot of um the later on lack of kurt sadies came from one trying to reinforce that rachel was the main character and if kurt's going to be a main character then we need them to be friends and Mm -hmm. I we don't know what to do with extra friendships because you can't have more than one friend. Oh, oh no, gosh, you can't. No. I know I only have one friend. Oh, of course. Yes. Everybody has their one friend. <laughs> <laughs> Lord knows we don't know what to do with two. God help us. I out know. Right? Well, I <laughs> think that uh, one of the problems, and, and this is sort of just, you know, kind of a, a show problem they ran into is they filmed the first 13. Mm-hmm. And then they filmed the back nine. Mm-hmm. But they didn't start filming the back nine until after a lot of the first 13 had aired, if I'm remembering this correctly. You are correct. Because of that, they had no idea when doing the first 13 how fans were going to react to certain things. Yep. And mm-hmm. with starting with the back nine, in this episode, I think, included, they start... I, I'm going to use the word pandering, but I'm not really sure if that's the word I want pandering to the fans. They're, oh, they're playing study, to their audience, is what they yeah. are. They do that, actually, even... They must have been writing these episodes when they were airing, too, because um, Hello, the first one of um, of, of the back mm-hmm. nine, has mm-hmm. referenced fourth wall breaks already. So, yeah. They, okay, playing to the audience is better than pandering, because I'm not really sure if pandering is the word I want. It might be... I mean, I yeah, think, I think pandering comes in, in later episodes, on. 
Yes. But maybe at this point they are sort of just playing towards a right, specific right. audience, you know. Kind of nudging that they know that we're listening. Well, yes. Ryan Murphy has well, a tendency to when... not be able to to continue on <laughs> with things. But he, there are a lot of times where he's really great at one season and yes. a complete storyline. And I think that you can look at the first 13 as a complete storyline. Yes. And if then, the show had ended there... That would it, have been a great show. It would have been excellent. But I think that, you know, his his style and his attention span, truthfully, mm-hmm. suffers the longer he has to stick in one universe, which I think is why, you know, he's had such success with American Horror Story because he gets to reboot mm-hmm. it every year. Um, yeah. He, yeah. You know, The New Normal was great because it was only one season and he didn't have a chance to screw, screw up. Screw it up. Anybody <laughs> else. <laughs> New normal. But you look at Nip Tuck, and it has kind of the same... Ooh, that this... show was all <laughs> over the place. And I know because I watched that from beginning to end in... Bonkers. Yes. Just bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. But, and, I mean, a, and a lot of that came from getting bored with rules that he had set in place for his universe. Yeah. Yeah. And... Well, okay, so getting back to home again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to agree this a lot. We are terrible. No, it's entertaining. I'm having fun. I mean, um, <laughs> edit out whatever you feel like doesn't fit. <laughs> oh no, I'm kind of, I, I am. I am kind of of the mind um, that you know. I don't have a time limit for these podcasts, so I, I don't know. I feel like at this point, if you're listening to the podcast, you're interested in hearing people geek out about the show, which is exactly what we're doing. So, um, yeah, it's fun. Um, so anyway, yeah, but getting back into home. related to the episode. Right. You know, oh, yeah. there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that sort of happened here, because this is when Chris, and therefore Kurt, blew up with the fans. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. And so a lot of that affects his plots, not only throughout the rest of season one, obviously into season two, and then in, in from that point on, he is, you know, one of the main four. Uh, uh, like lead characters, right? Sad and, Kurt is spectacular. I mean, yes. as much as I want him to be, you know, happy and content, Sad Kurt is amazing. You know, that reminds me. I do have something I wanted to add before we actually get on to the next part of this. <laughs> oh my god, I'm just an enabler. Um, <laughs> that um, I was, I, I had to look it up because, but they actually cut a song out of this episode. Speaking of behind I think the scenes I knew stuff, that, but not was um, it Fergalicious? It was Fergalicious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Which so much um, drama about the Fergalicious <laughs> number because they lost the rights to it before they could air it. No, I thought it was because Chris broke something and they couldn't no. film it. They, oh, no, he did break something. Oh, okay. Uh, he either broke or sprained his wrist, I believe. Okay. But <laughs> he actually hurt himself two different times in this episode because he hurt himself during Fergalicious, but then he hurt himself when they were at the skating rink. I mean, that would be an interesting count. How many times has Chris Colfer injured himself in service of this show? A lot. (laughs) That child's medical records from the time he's 18 to the time he's like 22, 23, it's probably nothing but injuries from the You know, they they probably had an entire insurance code that was Glee related. (laughs) Did he make a joke that he knew the emergency room nurses? Yes. Anyway, like on a first name basis with half of them. Yeah. Uh, so my I, understanding is they got the rights to Fergalicious. 
they recorded it, they filmed it, because there are pictures. And then they lost the rights, and so oh, they wow. couldn't do anything with it. I didn't know that. Wow. That's my understanding now. I, It's been years since I've read well, up on this, so it could be wrong. But I'm 99% sure that his injury is not the reason why it never aired. Oh, interesting. Wow. Well, and I feel a little bad saying this. The, the, I, you know, it would have been an interesting song to put in here, but I, I totally, it would have been so jarring to the rest of the, the rest of this episode. So heavy, especially with the Will April stuff in addition to it. Right. This episode and, is very ballady. I mean, you have uh, House is Not a Home, it is. and then the reprise of House is Not a Home, and then uh, Beautiful, and then mm-hmm. are there any, I mean, April and Will's five minute rendition of whatever they were singing. Oh, that's the reprise yeah. of House is Not a Home, which I actually is, is one of my favorite, favorite season one songs because it sounds really pretty. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, um, see, Will and April did Fire, which is yeah. kind of a slower song. Kind of. And yeah. then. And then she did something at, at the, the end. end. Home, home is the name. So yeah, I just think Fergalicious would have stuck out a little bit. <laughs> like, I mean, maybe if they opened the episode with it. Yeah, but oh, I thought. Oh, I don't know. You're right. Yeah. That could have been a. It, uh, I mean, but then the rest of the episode just the music is so much less somber. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very <laughs> con- contemplative. It's very uh, introspective. It's right, messy. which it's, is. Why it makes sense that Bad Reputation is after this episode, because it's such a hilarious <laughs> Oh, Bad Reputation. You get emotional whiplash. <laughs> which that is, is the emotional whiplash. Which is not Actually, something that, that is, is confined to season one. Yeah, that is the best probably way to describe like, it's emotional whiplash. It is. All right, so 40 minutes and let's talk about... Um, <laughs> Oops. Oh gosh. We have a lot of feelings. So many feelings. Alright, so starting with this first Kurt Finn scene where he brings the swatches. But which by the way I noticed I never noticed this before I did the rewatch of uh, um of putting these notes together. It has my bedroom written on the top of it and I paused it just to look at all the different swatches he has on there. I mean he's put a lot of thought into this. Can you imagine what Kurt's Pinterest looks like? It's fabulous. I mean, Whatever it is, it looks I don't, fabulous. I don't know whether he would be one who has 600 separate boards all organized meticulously, or he would have, you know, like four boards that have a thousand posts in them going, yeah, this is something we can totally look at. <laughs> Honestly, I'm kind of leaning towards the first one, only because he seems to have... Some very mild obsessive compulsive <laughs> issues. <laughs> so, how often I'm going to totally be, jeez, um, uh, I'm going to go totally off topic saying this. How often do you think in their later life Blaine comes home to a different looking house? Oh God! At least once every six months, there's one room in the house that's completely different than the way it was when he left See, to go wherever in the morning. I feel like it's going to be. Um, it, with a previous roommate, I had been traveling for the week, and I came home, and it was late, and I know how my house is set up, and so I didn't bother to turn on the lights, and I oh, fell no. head over <laughs> ass over the couch, 
because she Okay, someone it. needs to write that story. <laughs> she That's the dying to be written. Blaine comes home and Kurt's redecorated yet again. And Blaine goes ass over tea kettle because she doesn't know where any of the furniture is. All of a sudden, she's coming down the I stairs turning see. all the lights going, what happened? <laughs> like, you moved the couch. She's like, why didn't you turn on the light? And I kind of feel like that would be something that would happen to them. Yeah, and at the same time, Blaine moves a plant and Kurt freaks out about it. Well, sure, because that's not the proper place where it's going to get the right amount of light so that it can bloom the number of times that we need for it to match the walls. And and honestly, though, we've seen him freak out about his space and the way it's decorated in season five. So it's not that far out of line. No. What really um, gets me though is that he's all about, you know, decorating this room and he's going to live with Finn and I really kind of stuff. wonder what living with Finn would really because be. Because he's like. because he's not actually thinking about real life living with Finn. He's he's in the white knight. You're going to ride in on your white stallion and rescue me in this wonderful time, aren't you quarterback? Well, yeah, and, like, I I can't imagine, like, Kurt asks him his opinion on how, on how to, to do the room, and I can only imagine, had Finn actually agreed to help him out, oh, Kurt just getting down. so frustrated <laughs> when Finn is like, let's paint the walls brown, you know? <laughs> like, was, what do you mean brown? Do you mean, like, dark brown, light brown, tan, beige, coffee? <laughs> Should we do a texture? Should we do a stripe? I mean, is this going to be a it's wallpaper like, or a paint? It's like when Bert comes downstairs and Kurt's taking the swatches off the walls, and he was, and he says something. He goes, "Did you pick one?" He goes, "Well, they're all gray to me." They are all gray. It's six. I guess they look various, various tones of gray. Like, they're, well, they're all gray. He has the non-horrible Fifty Shades of Gray on his wall. <laughs> That was a great joke. Thank you for that. You know, I, I, I try to play to my audience. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, no, I think it's a testament to just how much um, Kurt's kind of fantasy in love with Finn at this moment that he's just, I mean, just the way he is, like, flouncing around Finn and, and just like, hey, we can do this, and how he's totally oblivious to Finn being completely confused and a little... Like, I don't want to do any of this. He's he's continuing to live in his fantasy land. He's presenting all of these options with the fantasy that Finn will pick exactly what what Kurt wants, just like Finn will choose Kurt. I mean, he's at this moment where he's not seeing reality. Yeah, pretty much. He's not seeing the forest for the trees, let alone uh, anything that Finn could possibly be thinking that's concerning him in his own personal life, and then we come to the rest of the episode, where that comes oh, shattering yeah. down. Well, and it's, it's like, Justin Kurt, uh, what does he say in French? And, in, and Finn is just like, I don't even know what you're oh, talking about. And, and yeah. Kurt doesn't even notice. <laughs> He's just really upset about the co- cowboy wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Finn and his closet full of cowboy oh, and, wallpaper. Uh, well, you know, you know another thing I noticed about that. Something, whatever it was, it's something. It was the French thing meets Hunting Lodge. Well, I mean, you know, nothing says Hunting Lodge like cowboy wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> Yeehaw! Oh man! <laughs> oh. Wait, 
mean, is that what Kurt's trying to do in theatricality? No. I'm <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, I, but I noticed on the swatchboard yeah. there are fabrics for theatricality, the bedroom on that little board there. I thought that was interesting. Well, once again, the prop department and the costume department are all over this show <laughs> like nobody's they, business. They are on point. I mean, if anybody in the back end of production of this show had it right, it was costuming. costuming and props. And costuming and props. I mean, they were they were on the ball. You can look at, you can analyze that and not feel like you have to make exceptions for poor writing. No. Yep. <laughs> the the costumes, I mean, we you know, and there's a bunch of theories, especially as the year, you know, the seasons pass and and the way that the dressing and the, the oh, characters sure. outfits change. There is literal like series and everything else about that and all of it can be pretty much taken on point oh, because yeah. they were always consistent and on it. Right. Well, where, didn't the costume designers, at least, I, I'm pretty sure they talked about on Twitter or something, how they went out of their way to make sure that, you know, it wasn't just that Kurt and Blaine and their continual use of blues and yellows, but I, I mean, I'm pretty sure they used a lot of, reused a lot of things for all the characters. You know, that would be very interesting to go back and look at because I, I know that I... I mean, if anybody can say that they didn't do Love, Love, Love on purpose, they're mm. living in fantasy land. Um, but that would be very <laughs> interesting to go back and look at other characters and see how they, you know, how they do it with Artie, how they do it with Mercedes, how they do it you know, with Tina as they brought her in from this you know, gothic vampire, I wear only black to speak with a fake stutter, to bright, shiny colors that she ended in. I mean, that would be fascinating. Well I, well, I say I could do a whole thing about Tina because she started out as this really upbeat but goth character and oh. ended with as this really bitter character, but her outfits never were, seemed to reflect her it's inner true. Her, her inner emotional woman. state. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Her when she was goth, she, she was so happy, even she though was very course, positive. Yes, and then on the and then McKinley beat her down. <laughs> Because they changed. didn't let her graduate. They didn't. <laughs> Lord knows she should have just gone to college. <laughs> you know, her, as her outward appearance changed, her inner, like, uh, her emotional state, her, I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for, she, you know, basically reverted. Her, outs, her uh, inside went out and her outside went in. Her and Blaine, I just wanted to free them from McKinley. Oh my because, because they would have done so much better. It's like, no, just go. Go out into the wild. The wild will love you. You don't need to graduate. <laughs> just go. Seriously. <laughs> you Just do the GED. Get out. And in, in all honesty, they let, Brit they let Brittany graduate. <laughs> don't let anybody graduate. With her 0.0, .0 grade point average. She wrote her papers in crayon. They'll let you graduate. Oh. Free them. Let them run out into the wild. Be smart. Be loving. Be talented. Oh, my darling. Meanwhile, back in home. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in season, season one. one. <laughs> How many times? You guys are like hate me by the end of this podcast. <laughs> um, we get the uh, beginning of uh, Burton Carroll, or what, what is their uh, their celebrity name? Um, I don't know. Barrel, I think. 
whatever. I don't know. That's, I, I think that that's dumb, and I don't like that. But I love. But Bert and Carol is just their passion, and I love them. Well, or or they were the Hudmals, which I actually like oh, yeah. because they were the oh, Hudson yeah. Hummels. See, yeah. I thought that was the whole family. It was, was well, the... I mean, as a as a group, yes, it is a whole family. But I mean, I, a lot of times, I think that people would just refer to them by the last name. So. I'm so terrible at smashing names together. Like, Clayne is fine, but the rest of them like to say their names. Yeah. Which makes me sound like such a fandom old, and I don't care. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes the longer you're in fandom, the more you have to just go with them. You know what? Back in my day, we said their names uphill both ways to school. <laughs> All six of those miles through six inches of snow. With newspaper on my feet carrying my younger sister on my back. <laughs> Not that I have had family members say things like that before at all. No. <laughs> while wearing but God, a Bert, skirt. Bert and Carol. Yes, while yes. wearing a skirt. But yes. Bert and Carol, Bert. I mean, Bert. they are Actually, wonderful. And I'm, like, they are, they are people that their entire storyline, I am so happy that the writers let them find each other. They yeah. are one of the How? best things that this show ever did. They it are. Never, ever made any wrong steps with them. Ugh. No. I have and no how... complaints about them whatsoever in six seasons. It's so true. How sweet are they? I mean, that they, they bond over acid wash. I mean, Kurt's like, hey, bond over your dead spouses. That's not weird. But, I mean, <laughs> but they bonded over her acid wash. He's like, I never thought it went out of style. It's like, how could you not fall for that? It's like, you're adorable. It's wonderful. And and I kind of love, I mean, there's, not that we'll touch upon it much, but um, with Finn's storyline, you get this whole story about Carol kind of, you know, trying to be alive after so many right. years of, you know, and I think Bert was the same way. And they kind of connect on that kind of level. And, man, they just go with it. I mean, they just fall for each other quickly. I mean, really I think do. I think they both had taken themselves out of the mindset of finding somebody after their spouse. Right. Um, yes. Because I think that both of them are portrayed as having a very healthy relationship with their previous spouse. And one where everybody was devoted to each other and, you know, you have this kid that you need to raise. And they both make this choice of, my happiness is second. I'm going to focus on raising the best son that I can. And, well, and I think a lot of, uh, at least I know on Bert's end, he doesn't really seem to have had any real relationships since Kurt's mom died. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, neither some but for yeah. Carol, and yeah, she seems to that. have picked a couple of real winners there. <laughs> um, but we don't really get any indication that after what the lawn guy runs off with the blonde chick in oh, the yeah. pilot. She, we mm. don't really see her with anyone else or get any kind of inference that there is anyone else. So I'm wondering, you know, after she threw the milk at him, she swore off men and just devoted her life to Finn. Well, and, and based on Finn's reaction to this, it doesn't seem like even if she had had previous relationships, they never struck him as serious. Right. Like, it was never at the point of, oh, wait, no, this isn't just, you know, her Some guy something. she's going out right. with just to go out with. The, we're actually talking about moving in together and being a family and what the heck is going on here. Right. So I think mm -hmm. it's this moment of, oh, crap, here's this serious 
my, my mom has feelings. What is going mm-hmm. on with this? And I think that that's a big shock for any child once they, well, when they have that moment of, wait, my, my parent is a fully realized a person. person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She has feelings I, like me. And that's, that's so, it's so weird when you have that moment of realization. And I think on top of that, uh, one thing that I really liked about Bert and Carol's relationship is that here are two people who thought that they found the loves of their life, and unfortunately, they passed away early. And, you know, it wasn't like either of them came out of a bad relationship. Um, they they had good relationships, and then they found somebody again. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that message, but I think to Finn, you know... He, it just, you know, his dad meant a lot to him, and, and to see his mom, you know, I don't want to say replace, but to Finn it feels like, you know, Bert's trying to replace him, That that's a hard thing. Well, I think it, it, he's also seeing it as, as a betrayal, because he never knew his father. And so mm-hmm. all he has of his father is this heroic ideal in his head. Mm-hmm. And so it, I think it's hard for him to realize that his dad was a person to his mom and you know Carol wants to wants to be with somebody and wants to have mm-hmm. that support and wants to have that type of family and wants to have that type of home right um, and, and to, to bring it around back to Kurt it's interesting Kurt is all for this and not just because of the crush thing I mean he's excited to make over Carol and he's you know his dad's happy and he, he feels like he's getting this you know home himself and it's interesting that like, whereas Finn kind of accepts everything and, and becomes, you know, uh, accepting of everything, where it kind of, to Kurt, it almost backfires. Because I so, think that for Kurt, it starts out with that fantasy. He's in the same mm-hmm. fantasy land that he is with, he's he's going to get Finn. I mean, of course, Finn, it doesn't matter that Finn is straight. <laughs> of course he'll fall in love with him. It doesn't matter that, you know... Um, the family's going to come together. It's going to come together in the exact same way that I want it to. And so when it has this moment of, wait, my my dad and Finn have things in common and interests in common and they don't include me and wait a second, this is not what this is not what the story was supposed to be. How how can you possibly do this? This is a betrayal. I think it's very sharp when he realizes that real life is not the fantasy that he has created and put into motion. Yep. Well, and a couple of things before we kind of move on off of this little portion, I wanted to say, um, first of all, I love that the way Bert and and Kurt interact at the beginning of this little scene um, where he's like, I have to act as a translator. And I'm thinking to the teacher or to Bert, or why does Kurt feel like he needs to translate? Because then I feel like maybe it's like the teachers are like, maybe it's not the best report or they're saying that, you know, Kurt could do better at such and such a thing or something. And then Kurt's like, but, but of course that's only if this and like jumping into to smooth things over. Maybe his report wouldn't be the best. Oh, I just assumed that it was because all the teachers at McKinley are terrible. Well, that too. (laughs) Well, there is that. I mean... But, I mean, you know, back all in of the, season all one, of the we, we didn't realize how bad they were. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Aside from but, Coach Sue, who I would never want to walk down a dark alley with. <laughs> you know. Oh. But, um, and then Kurt, um, talking about the cookies and how they're not That's organic. <laughs> how they're do you know they're not organic? Because they have to label the, the name of the cookie is imprinted <laughs> on it. 
<laughs> and I can just see Kurt and Bert having these little arguments with each other all the time. I just it's so endearing. Their relationship to me. is very real. And it's, it's very one it's very familiar realist. and I love it. Because you know, you have the times that they argue and you have the times that they are supportive of each other and you have a when lot of times on teen have... shows you have parents who fall into more of a friend category and I love that they never had Bert fall into that. It's always very obvious yeah. that he is Kurt's father. He is Kurt's yes. parent and he is It's always very underlining himself. in all of their interactions that he is his father. Yeah. And even regardless of what's going on, he loves him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and vice versa, you know, Kurt loves his dad. And no matter what is going on, even when they're not getting along, even in, you know, what uh, it, I guess later on in season two, you know, like when they have issues, even in those episodes, it's you still never get the the feeling that they don't love each other. No. I mean, Bert would walk through fire for Kurt and vice versa. I and mean, he threatened something with a flamethrower at one point. I oh, mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah. He will blowtorch that school. And I like to think the same way, actually, as a nice parallel, I like to think the same way of Carol and Finn. I, I think do. they have such a and, and maybe that's why her and Bert click so much. Because oh, yeah. they're both devoted to putting their kids first. And and even though it's really not in this episode, I know later on in the season when everything sort of falls apart, one of the things that they do is take a step back because their kids obviously are mm-hmm. not handling it well. They have very similar outlooks on life. They have very similar outlooks on parenting. They have very similar outlooks on how you conduct yourself as your child's parent as opposed to your child's friend. And I think that it re- they really work well together. And it's surprising to me how well and consistent they were able to write Burton Carroll as compared to some of the other adults in the series. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Well, they weren't on as often, so that probably is. <laughs> Maybe if they had point. more screen time, they would have screwed it up at some point. But true, so it's probably not. not. Yes, every <laughs> no, moment that um, they had was always important to the plot. It was always well written. It was never out of character. It was just amazing. And some of my favorite scenes are not not only the scenes that they share together, but the scenes especially back in the earlier seasons with the four of them being family. Yes. Right. Um, Another um, thing I wanted to, I completely forgot about this. I love the little line that Kurt says. He says that fate brought them together. And in my head, I always think, no, Kurt, you brought them together. He considers himself fate. He he is the magic arm of the universe. He's the puppeteer. He is. He's He's controlling everything. It's his universe. It's his fantasy. He's controlling it. Mm Mm-hmm. Until so, he, uh, he wrote their romance, so of course he's fate. And then they had to go and screw it up by having independent thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could you imagine Kurt playing The Sims? Oh, anyway. God. <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. Granted, <laughs> right, you'd be stuck on building a house, but you I'm know. Sorry, if anybody has written that as a fic, I would read that. I don't from, have enough like, money to do week. feng shui properly. <laughs> How are you supposed to feng shui when this couch takes up three squares? Why don't you love each other? You're supposed to do this. No, you're not hungry. <laughs> don't pee on that carpet. How do you not know where the door is? <laughs> and you know he was doing them oh, after man. his friends, too. 
It would be, Sam, <laughs> why don't you know where the door is? <laughs> and, you know, Sam would be in the background. Like, what? <laughs> and Flynn would be like, okay, we're done with the game now. <laughs> Close the laptop. <laughs> All right. And then we just, how many fics have we written now? <laughs> Anybody is looking for any sort of thick ideas, basically all they need to do is tune into the podcast. <laughs> I'm a fount of ideas. <laughs> all right, so, okay, then we get the scene of um, uh, Finn's, like, upset about uh, Kurt, or about the parents getting together, and Kurt, oh my gosh, <laughs> just, Finn is so upset, and Kurt's just like, let me fix your shirt for you, and, this, you know, he says so many very naive things about love in this this whole little scene. I mean, you know, people not waiting around for love or nothing is impossible when it comes to love. And he's so overly idealistic about it and, and naive. And it's just, oh, poor Kurt. It's his fantasy world. And I love how well Finn is portrayed as a sulky teenager. Because wouldn't you be irritated at this whole thing? All of a sudden your parent meets somebody at a PTA meeting, and this is ridiculous, you're having to move, and you're going to get rid of my chair, and I can't believe that any of so, this is happening, and why would we have to do all of this? And I think that he plays sulky so well. How did it take him a month to notice this, though? He's because he's like Finn. A month <laughs> Come on, he's Finn. He really thought he impregnated Quinn in a hot tub. Right. <laughs> he is, love him to death, but he is not the brightest crayon in the box. <laughs> he is. And I... I he do think he does. Really he does. His heart is in the right place. Yes. His, but I think also he recognizes Kurt has a crush on him. I mean, at this point, it's so outward. Obviously and obvious. I it mean, is. And I think that if he wasn't so uncomfortable with what was happening with his mom, he would have yeah. called him out by now. He would have had a stronger now. reaction about it. Right. But he and, is, he's yeah, so that's... concerned with everything else that... Kurt flirting with him is down at the bottom of the list below having to move, getting rid of the chair. And why is my mom having a new outfit and a new haircut and hanging out with this man? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and if, and, and it is finally gets to the point where once he becomes okay with the relationship between Kurt and, and or Bert and Carol, that is exactly what happens. Uh-huh. He freaks yeah. out and goes off on Kurt. So it, it really is interesting that the two situations flip-flop. As soon as he becomes adjusted to one idea, well, the other one just, you know, it's finally reached the, the pinnacle. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things about his character. I think that Finn only has a limited amount of bandwidth to deal with one <laughs> emotional crisis at a time. And, and so you know, he's I dealing with one, and, he's, and he just kind of pushes away and ignores the rest. It's not important. And then once he deals with one, he can freak out about a second one. And it's interesting enough, I would almost say that Kurt's kind of the same way. Oh, I would agree. And mm-hmm. it's really interesting that um, that they're so similar in the way they deal with things, and yet so different in how they deal with things, because... Finn just focuses on the one thing, and Kurt's like, you know, rainbows and sunshine, and I'm ignoring everything that's not going the way I want it to. They deal with these emotional problems in the same way, but it manifests itself differently. So they can only Mm -hmm. handle one thing at a time, so Finn just ignores everything else, and Kurt will create a fantasy land where everything is okay and going his way. And And, and, and he will do whatever he can to make that fantasy real. 
Right. I mean, that's where his single-mindedness kind of comes in, and he's like, okay, well, you know, he just doesn't think of the ramifications of his actions, and that's a consistent Kurt trait. No, he's he's Um, not a great chess player. He he does not think four or five steps ahead. Although he does get better about that, I think. He does. As he gets... Part of of that is growing up and having more experiences in the real world and going, well, I can't fix all of this by fantasizing about fabric swatches about the quarterback (laughs) of my high school football team. But I also think, like, he starts to learn, I mean, if he wants... He he does have more empathy than Rachel, I always like to say. Uh, And that he, he reaches, like... He eventually learns that he can't. His single-mindedness does have consequences, and that he does have to consider other people in his life. Oh yeah. So I mean, even even here with you know, um, we'll get to it in a second. But with that scene with Bert, like, oh, me setting up, you know, uh, Bert and Carol has effects on Bert, not just this, you know, part of my scheme. Well, and and in, even when he flips the switch and he's like, we need to break them up. It's like. So you went all this way, you know, to set them up to promote your elaborate fantasy life, and now you're going to break them up because it's not going the way you want, but you know who's getting hurt in all this? Your dad. Yeah. 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 And, I, and, you know, and I think that's, that that's, that's one of the things that helps put him on a path of maybe I should consider other people's feelings with that, because if there's anybody in this world who he does not want to disappoint... It's, it's oh, yeah. And and that yeah. is a consistent plot throughout the entire series dating back to I mean, if you if you want to say pre-series, but really it's, it's because if you look at 2009 versus the pilot, you know, cuz 2009 really expands on Kurt right. where the pilot didn't because of logistical reasons at the time that they filmed the pilot and the fact that they just wrote Kurt in because right. um, he didn't exist before that. <laughs> so with 2009 exploring that, you can see a lot more of his early fears about coming out, about disappointing his dad, about not being the, the son that his dad wants, and really that's still impacting him even in this episode because one of his issues in this episode as it goes through and Finn and Bert get closer is hmm. that he's... Like, a, he feels like maybe he's, you know, he's being, he feels left out, obviously, but maybe he also feels like that he could be replaced. me if I, yeah. Yep. If I, if I, well, was, and, if I was more butch, if I was more masculine, if I was straighter, if I was everything that, you know, they, Finn is. my father deserves as a son that Finn is, why can't I be that? Right. And, and the, the whole storyline gets carried through through laryngitis yes. and, you know, ties up. I call home and and uh, laryngitis and, and theatricality the Kurt trio because that kind of the oh, yeah. arc of that, they all yeah. fit together. Really. Well, because they all deal with this very specific plot. They all, and there, it's between Kurt and his dad and mm-hmm. Kurt and Finn and, um, mm. and it sort of wraps that up before the, the yeah. end of this, the season. So, yeah. I mean, Definitely. You could talk for hours on Kurt and Bert together and their relationship. Yeah. And it's one of those relationships that, again, I'm so, for all of the things that Glee was ridiculous and for all of the things that they did wrong or poor writing, one of the things that they did so, so right was Bert and Kurt. Yeah. And yes. you have, you know, you have this 
person in Bert who was not entirely comfortable with Kurt's sexuality or the expression of his sexuality, but gosh darn it, it was his son, and if that's who his son was, then he is going to love him no matter what, and they showed that, and they did not, they did not, um, shy away from his discomfort in the beginning or his questions about it or you but know yeah I'm, did... I'm trying to figure this out as i go along and they he grew and it was a wonderful thing to show yes they have one of the best parent-child relationships i've mm-hmm. seen on almost mm-hmm. any show i think i've ever watched and i i think it ties into one of the uh themes that glee did better overall as a series was this idea of, you know, uh, having people in your life and accepting them even if you don't always understand them. Or, yep, and and that kind of is what, you know, Glee Club was the family. uh, But, you you know, specifically, you know, Bert and Kurt were this family even if they were different. It was a lot of, I don't get it, but I love you. And so So I'm going to accept you and I'm going to deal with it in whatever way you need me to, or be there for you in whatever way I can. Mm-hmm. And I may not always get it right, but I'm going to keep trying. Yes. Right. And it was, and I think that it was very valuable that they didn't show getting it right, right off from the start. You know, oh, yeah. you, you make mistakes and you're trying and it's okay to try and it's okay to mess up as long as you, you know, you recognize that you messed up and you fix it. And you move mm-hmm. on from that. It's. I think that it was a very wonderful thing for them to show on a number of occasions that, you know, you try, you mess up, you try again. That's the way you got to do it. That's how it's going to end up positive for everybody else. And this is the way that that growth happens. Yep. Okay, so we're moving back to... Uh, <laughs> Apparently, you uh, need to have, like, a, 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 a family-themed podcast where we just talk about all the family interruptions. Because oh, I, would, I, I would do that. Okay, cool. <laughs> not, not that we apparently have so many Burt, Kurt, Carol, and Finn feelings or anything. Yeah. <laughs> we'll call it what, the Hudmog podcast. The Hudmog podcast. Uh, we'll just talk about with Bert, special Carol, <laughs> because I am so there. Oh, they're just wonderful. There's a special appearance of Blaine, because I'd love to talk about the similarities between Blaine and Bert. But no, that is another day. Technically, <laughs> they do get married. So he joins Blaine their family. family. It's true. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> Which, if we do that, it means we can bring in Cooper. <laughs> because Cooper is family, too. tagline for this episode. We talk about Cooper. <laughs> Why? Because he's home. <laughs> Who doesn't love Cooper Anderson and Matt Bowers' beautiful face? <laughs> I'm pointing at my screen now just in honor of that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, okay. Back to home. Uh, actually, back to home. Okay. Back to home. So, um, about, um, a house is not a home. Yeah. It's where I wanted to go oh, next. This is, um, I mean, not that I don't... Well, I want to... Can I quickly... I want to say this quote to set it up, because this is what Kurt says right before it. It's, he says, 
what we all need now is to explore the idea of a sense of place and how if we find that place within, we'll get that happy ending. And if that doesn't sum up this entire episode, nothing else does. Because Hands every down. single plot in this episode is basically running on that, those two where, where do I belong? Right, but Kurt doesn't get, I mean, it's kind of interesting, because he doesn't get that happy ending yet. I mean, but he hasn't found that place within yet. He's still searching, and... Because he thinks you know. he knows what he wants that place to be until his fantasy is shattered later on. He, he yeah. thinks that he's going for it. I think, uh, and a lot of times, and, and this is one of those instances, the show is very good about having characters put other characters up on a pedestal. Yeah, and then true. doing what they can to systematically break that pedestal down so that the person who put them on that pedestal is not only, you know, obviously any excuse to make Kirk cry, but, I mean, you know, it, it develops the relationship between the two by breaking apart that pedestal. So here, Kirk very much has fit up on a pedestal. This episode is the beginning of him or the beginning of the dismantling of that pedestal. Right. And right. he sort of is that way with his dad, too, but less so, I think. And then Finn, in turn, has his dad up on a pedestal. Yeah. And mm-hmm. getting closer to Bert as the episode goes along is slowly starting to break that down until we mm-hmm. get to the point, like, somewhere in season three, where we find out his dad is nothing like what we thought, and yeah, right. he was in the military, but that's not how he died, and all this, this stuff, which, incidentally enough, is weirdly ironic. But anyway, mm-hmm. when you yeah, think about I, I, it, I think yeah. that this song is great at having both Kurt and Finn yearning for something that they think they want, but deep down know that they can't ever have. Which, for, right. for Kurt, that is... Thin, you know, he wants him, he's attractive, he's interesting, but deep down he knows Finn is not a romantic prospect for him. Well, and, and for Finn, it's his dad. He wants this, mm-hmm. he wants to have his hero back, but deep down he, he's not getting his dad back. His dad is not there well, anymore. And what's really interesting about that, though, is that in the end, Bert is his father and is the father that he wants so desperately. Mm-hmm. And to to go on a slight tangent for a second, even though they try to make it Mr. Shoe, and maybe in the first season it is kind of Mr. Shoe because he actually says that, but it's really Bert who ends up becoming that father figure for him that he so desperately wanted, that he wanted his dad to be. I think it's it's another instance of... Poor writing and the intention was for it to be somebody else, and then you have uh, this wonderful chemistry relationship that you didn't expect. So I think that they always intended right. it for it to be Shu. I think that that's how they tried to write it, but I mean, who who can resist Bert Hummel? Nobody. Because <laughs> I mean, he's he's wonderfully supportive, and he knows his what relationships to say. with everyone on the show were always great. I mean, his scenes right. with Finn are great. His scenes with Carol great. His scenes with Kurt are great. His heck, his scenes with Shu were great. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I think I think that it was always the intention for Finn to find a father figure in Will Schuster, but and he sort of does in the beginning, but once his family life really comes together at right. home. 
you you mm. see a very um like it it's less that uh Finn is going to shoot for things and more like yeah it's you know he's handling things at home now because he has both a mother mm-hmm. and a father to go to. He has right. a brother in Kurt, and so he doesn't need right. that outside father figure anymore. Mm-hmm. He so, has support but, within his home. He doesn't need to find it externally in the same way that he did in the first 13 episodes. Yes. And then, but on the flip side, I mean, you know, Kurt just wants somebody to love him, and... He does. He does eventually yeah, I, I have... find that, but I don't know that it's... Um, in the same way that, say, like, Finn's issue gets resolved. So I just think that's really fascinating. I, I um, going off kind of in a different direction, I, I just have lots of feelings about this song. Um, I am so fascinated. There's only, there are only two times that Kurt serenades a guy in, on the show. This time, and I, season three's I Have Nothing. And interestingly, I actually played them back to back. There's some similarities in the way Kurt holds himself, and then there's some really big difference. And this one, he's so just openly vulnerable in a kind of a sad and and knowing way that he's never going to have Finn, like we were talking about. Um, And contrasting to season three when it's an apology to Blaine and it's something he's much more sure about, but it's just, I don't know, it's so fascinating to to look at, like, he's reaching out to Finn and wishing with all of his heart that he could actually have this love when he knows it's really kind of, or have this home or have this, you know, feeling that he so desperately wants. I mean, at the beginning of this song, he's kind of running his hand up his arm, and it's so, like, I wish this was your hand. I wish, I, you know, you could I could feel you like this, and I, I know I can't. And it just, it's really powerful to me. Kurt is such a romantic with his hard candy shell and soft gooey inside. And these moments where that comes out, where all of his barriers go down are, are beautiful and sad Kurt. And I just want to give him a hug and say, I swear (laughs) he's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Blaine's coming. I swear it's going to be great. Six more and months. Come on. You just gotta hold on. <laughs> there's some the lyrics here that really they just break my heart. Um when there's no one there to hold you tight and no one you can kiss goodnight. And you know, yeah, he has he's beginning to have friends with Mercedes and his his dad is in his but he really he wants that touch and he wants someone to tell him, you know, I love you and, and kiss him goodnight and all of these romantic y things wants and to dance with at his prom. Yeah. And then the the line, um, when the two of us are far apart and one of us has a broken heart. And I think when he sings that, he's looking just so at Finn, and Finn's actually like trying to look away about it at it. But um, and it, like he knows it's it's almost like he, you know he knows this isn't going to happen. He knows that it, it's just you know a pipe dream and his but fantasy. It's hard but to give up that fantasy so bad because that's all he's had. And, He's had this fantasy that he's built around him, and so giving that up means that he has nothing, and he has to start again, and that's that's terrifying. Oh, well, that's terrifying Especially for an adult. And and it's, 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 oh, yeah. You're a teenager. Oh, God. Yeah. And then, so, darling, have a heart. Don't let one mistake keep us apart. And he's, like, 
pleading with Finn. He's so open in a way that he doesn't usually let himself get at this point. And, and just, like, please, you know, if there's just, you know, any, whatever, please fall in love with me, kind of, like, and it just... So, like, he turns around afterward, like, this is, you know, performance still, and he turns around afterwards and he starts crying, and it's like, I don't know. Hurt. Hurt crying um, is so painful. I mean, beautiful crying, but man, that that tugs at my heart going, I just just want to make it better. um, Something else, just a really small thing I noticed um, when I was uh, watching this against um, I Have Nothing, Puck, um, at the beginning oh of the song, God. when he noticed... Because <laughs> <laughs> it makes you laugh every time he looks over at Finn and goes, are you gay? And then Finn's just kind of like, eh? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, I don't I like it later on, it's kind of, not intentionally, but paralleled when Mike looks up to Blaine and is like, dude, he's singing to you. Like, <laughs> it's a positive thing, whereas Puck is such a negative thing in this moment, and I kind of like that it changes. And I so. love that later on really... in the series, Puck becomes, like, Kurt and Blaine's number one fan. <laughs> I, I love it that that's where it ends up. That he, that he is waving his claim flag high, and so... It's just an example of how far somebody comes from where they started out and where, obviously, you know, he was all, I'll say homophobic, but I don't know exactly how far, you know, what his real feelings were on that versus the persona he would wear at school Mm -hmm. as the bully. But, Mm -hmm. you know, he went from that to, you know, just, you know, sitting they're just looking at Finn going, dude, are you gay? Like, do we need to have a discussion? <laughs> oh, Compared but, to where he, they were gross. at the beginning of the season, you know? Yeah, he, I mean, by the time season two rolls around, he's, like, full-on supportive. And I just he's think a fan. That, I mean, yep. he's fine. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it's going to make me quote Hamilton lyrics, but look at where you are, look at where we started. And so I, yep. I think that he's he's definitely one of those characters that – um, a huge amount of growth, and I I love to see it. And, it. and it felt like it made sense. You know, it's like, you know what? You're hanging out with him. You're going to get dressed up. You're going to do all sorts of things with him. Of course. You're totally cool with mm-hmm. it. You've gotten used to it. The I more am, time I'm you really spend with him, it. the more you realize that that's who he is and not something he's doing to you. Exactly. And I, I feel yeah. like that that, I mean, and, and that was a big thing. But And so I would say that not only, you know, Puck obviously goes through that change, but Finn goes through that change, too. Oh, yeah. He's still stuck oh, in, yeah. the, Even more so. in the, you know, I don't want people to think I'm gay. And this whole, between that and the thing with his dad, you know, so his relationship with Kurt is in a really weird place where he's not really comfortable with mm-hmm. it. And... Or with Kurtz, period. So, and then it's, of course, and then he's so comfortable with Bert and with Bert and Carol once they start growing closer that Kurt suddenly doesn't know what happened there. Right. I think mm-hmm. that Finn is a good example of a character who learns what true leadership is. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not just, you know, commanding people on the football field to run for the touchdown. It's you know, the people around you and accepting them as they are and being able to build them up. And I think that throughout the series, 
Finn is a great example of internalizing aspects of leadership. Hmm. Um, okay, so one last thing before I kind of move on. Um, I just want to give a shout out to, I believe this is Kurt's first solo with the piano in the background, and I think that's my favorite prop during <laughs> any time Kurt sings. Kurt plus <laughs> piano. And the it's random just, orchestra that just hangs out in the, <laughs> in the choir room. Like, they had strings this time. They have, I think he has the orchestra on standby. <laughs> oh, probably. He's got, like, the, dude on, uh, the, the head of the orchestra on speed dial. It's like, yo, I'm doing the look today, so I'm going to need y'all to be there. Yep. <laughs> also, I'm pretty sure the band okay. members just sleep in the choir room. Oh, of course. Oh, I'm sure they do. Well, memorizing everything ever. Oh, gosh, the rain in Spain. So, of course, you know, somebody <laughs> has to play. You know, because Kurt um, doesn't play the piano or anything, and Finn and, and, and Puck don't play guitar or drums no. or, you know, they can play their no. own instruments. Imagine that. No, nobody has any <laughs> talent with instruments except for the random band that you can only see, like, halfway out of frame that all of a sudden has the exact <laughs> instruments that you – I mean, seriously, this time they had strings. <laughs> did somebody have a harp at one point? Yes. Like, where the hell did they get a harp? I want to know what high school band has a harpist. <laughs> well, there's orchestras that have harpists. True. In high school? I, in high school? Yeah, but they're like double A school. I mean, well, they're like okay. huge schools. <laughs> yeah, my my they're rural like... high school did not have a harpist. <laughs> no, no, we didn't either. <laughs> We so, did have a set of triplets that played the flute, though. Well, that's something. I mean, I feel it like was, that was actually. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like something like that should have shown up on Glee. Yeah. <laughs> I would have been amazed. My... They could be in the back next to neck. These here. are my triplet flautists. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm kind of surprised we never got. Blaine playing the piano while Kurt sang. Oh my sang. god, I want that so much. Like, at a, you know, well, they could have done it like a club thing. I mean, well, we sort of got it know. in season five when they did Just the Way You Are, but it was like a group number, but Kurt did sing yeah. by himself while Blaine was playing at one point. See, but now you've put that into my head and my heart, and I want that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> More of it. Come on. Oh, my pretty boys. Um, we'll just call this the prompt podcast. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it was about home, but really, we just want more fit. So if anybody decides that they want to write any of this, they should just tag all of us so that we can read yes. it and yes. yell and about it. it. And yeah, Sam the Fool Boy and Berkeley. <laughs> I tiny Glee Golden Girls fit. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, okay. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, okay, so we, we have the first meeting of the Kennedys and oh. the Bouviers. <laughs> and I I've given thought to this. Kirk considers him a Bouvier. Considering considering the mortality rate of the Kennedy family, I'm not really sure that's very uh. difficult one to make. Oh man. Oh. See, I, I think that he just wants to, like, have his own pillbox hat moment where he's at the forefront of political fashion, which I kind of oh, hope that yeah. later on when Bert runs and wins for Congress, that he's the one who dresses him. He's like, no, this is no. what we're doing. We are <laughs> not- I am 99% sure that all of Bert's 
Congress suits and outfits uh, were purchased by Kurt and handed to him and said, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. See, and you also know that he probably bought him different iterations of the flags pen because wearing oh. the same pen with the same charcoal black suit was just not going to fly it as your Monday through Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so there is probably an entire closet full of different iterations of a flag pen that is still acceptable for everybody to say that, yes, I have the right level of American patriotic desire, <laughs> but I am not a slave to the one pen that they sell in the gift shop. Because there's a difference between um, patriotism and tacky. Oh, God. Now I hope that he has a bald eagle brooch like Kurt has the hippo brooch. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, uh, one thing I noticed about the scene, I've seen it so many times, um, speaking of accessorizing, all of their drinks match their outfits. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I'm not even yeah, watch, like Kurt. I mean, <laughs> I've been staring at the still now for like twenty minutes. <laughs> I'm like, wow, it all matches. Once again, props to <coughs> props and costumes. You should go back and watch it and look for the drink. I'm going to have to because that's so yeah, funny. I I never noticed that, but man, snaps to both props and costumes. That is fantastic. <laughs> I'm like, wow, Carol's wine really matches her outfit and pink thing matches with his purple so I'm like oh my god they match <laughs> so anyway back to the real meat of the not the um, you know here's where it kind of starts <laughs> how about the breadsticks and how they're stale you know for a restaurant that's named breadstick they really need better really breadsticks <laughs> but you know why they're terrible because they're free <laughs> breadsticks, according to Santana, gives you unlimited breadsticks. <laughs> but you know, later on, they all just keep eating the breadsticks like this is the most amazing thing you could ever have. I do appreciate that there was truth spoken to power in this one. No, these breadsticks are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes, um, depending on what uh, what uh, point in time and fandom you're in, they look like pencils. <laughs> that huh? is true. If you get this reference. I don't know how long you've been in fandom. I think I do, but I, wasn't it when... Pencils debate? Yep. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I think I was there for it was for, or heard about it. um, oh. mid-season two uh-huh. for, uh, <laughs> oh, um, uh, the bread, when they go to Breadsticks and sing, oh, gosh, I cannot, Silly Love Songs. In the yeah. promo for that aired, it aired... <laughs> with it was like in it was a mid-season promo and so it was like stuff from that episode and stuff from like the episode before that and so it was like a hodgepodge of different stuff from different episodes this is what's coming up when glee comes back and there was a scene uh, a clip of them in breadsticks and it tore fandom apart for like at least I, oh three God, weeks I remember that. debating it i heard about it i wasn't there for it but i heard those about it. were breadsticks or if they were pencils, because if it was breadsticks, they were at breadsticks. But if they were pencils, it would might be a Dalton scene, which it would be oh, a Kurt Flame scene. It oh. was a thing. We were so starved for any little bit of information. <laughs> like that really ever changed? That is Come on. That is hard. Oh man. Okay. Anyway, back to the scene. Um, so. 
okay, so this is where <laughs> breadsticks. Um, this is where it really starts to fall apart. I love that Kurt's like trying to bring Carol. Like, look what I did with Carol, and and they just you know like whatever. Let's talk sports. Like, and awesome. and poor Kurt. I did this is this kind great of thing. Carol loves me. Everybody loves me. How about those Dodgers? Wait, why are you having a conversation that doesn't include me? I can't talk about this. Why? You're not supposed to be talking about this. How dare you have other interests? There's never oh. an excuse for stirrup pants. <laughs> it's not oh. in this episode. It's actually later, but still. It's next gets in laryngitis. Okay. That's such a good line. Yeah. That's such a wonderful no. line. <laughs> Someone who used to wear stirrup pants. Oh, Yeah. The 80s. Oh, the 80s were a terrible time for everybody. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't understand why that fashion keeps on trying to come back. Do you know who looks good in scrunchies? Nobody. Nobody. As I wear a scrunchie right now. Oops. <laughs> Whatever. I'm in my PJs too. So. <laughs> Share with everybody. Anyway. I don't. I mean, okay. So it it does kind of fall apart, and we get then the scene with um Kurt in his basement ripping off those gray swatches. And wait, why is he painting his room gray if it's already gray? It's a I different gray. It's a, it's different a totally gray. different gray. It, it's like it that. It's a different gray, but you know what? He has the most sterile bedroom I have ever seen for a teenager. For somebody who is such a colorful person. His bedroom is dark. Maybe he just moved down there. Like, what if, I don't know, I'm going to throw this out there because I'm totally fan-winking this. What if he had, like, a tiny upstairs bedroom and Bert's like, okay, well, I'll give you the basement, you know, for whatever reason. His, you know, his maybe Bert noticed that he was so depressed. Aww. He's like, here, I'll let you decorate Aww. the basement. Aww. Thanks, I needed those feels <laughs> today. Right. Sorry. That, was, that was straight to the heart. <laughs> Well, I mean, we do know from 2009 that he was worried about Bert's mental, or Kurt's mental state. Because it's true. Thanks, thank you, yeah. Emma. So maybe that is a, one of the things that he was doing to facilitate interests. In right, Give, giving him a new space, letting him do whatever he wanted with it, you know, really being open with, you know, this is... Well, because even this in this, it, it wasn't anything for him to drop, you know... What, like a hundred bucks and say, here, go buy some paint, go buy some right. of this, buy some of this, knock yourself out, do whatever you want down here. You know what I noticed? I'm like looking at the still of Kurt's bedroom and thinking about Preggers and Theatre Kelly. I don't think we ever see Kurt's bed in season we one. We don't. That's because Kurt doesn't have a bed. <laughs> he sleeps on the floor. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> My heart. Well, here, okay. Here, here's my personal thing about that. Kurt doesn't have a bed because a Bert, or having a bed would imply, well, because it's a TV, would imply that he could potentially have sex in that bed. And I don't think Glee or Fox was maybe ready to go there. That's true. Hmm. So Kurt never really, you never see Kurt sitting Wait, on his bed in season one. You never what see. What season was he making out with Brittany? Was that season one? That was on a couch. On couch. Okay. Downstairs. Oh, maybe it was, maybe it was a pull-out bed. Yeah, because I that cannot bad. think that Kurt Hummel would have a pull-out couch for a bed. Right. He's got one of those steely posturepedics with like the 
He's got the yeah, memory foam. He's got yes. the... There's oh. no way he doesn't have some state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line mattress, because he has... Well, we see his bed in, in season two. I mean... Yeah, and, and I mean... Definitely. Blaine's in it. <laughs> Blaine was in it once, too. <laughs> he was. <laughs> I had to bring that up. I just felt like throwing that in there. <laughs> anyway. Being naughty. <laughs> Anyway, bringing it back down to a very emotional scene between Bert and Bert. I'm sorry, this is like hurting cats for you. I'm I'm trying to rein myself in, too, or I'll go up. Oh, Oh, man. Longest podcast ever. No. um, (laughs) So, no, the thing that I really like about Bert in this scene, though, is that he is one of the few characters that can really call Kurt out on any bullshit, you know? Kurt is, like, trying to really ignore the situation and um, kind of go around it like, you know, I'm not ready for you to date again, and you are obviously bonding with a son that you've never had, and and Bert keeps, I mean, he doesn't 100% call him out in this scene, um, or else the story would be over, but um, <laughs> the, he does get to a lot of the heart of it, and, and I love that Bert does that consistently, that he will just call it like it is with Kurt. Well, Kurt's not able to keep up a hard shell around Bert. He's not able to keep up the same defenses that he does at school. He doesn't tiptoe. Bert doesn't tiptoe with Kurt. He says what's on his mind. He's very direct with Kurt. And I think some of that explains why Kurt, as as a 16-year-old, comes over like a mini-adult sometimes. So much so... Mm that when he does something so blatantly 16-year-old teenager, like, you know, matchmake his and, and Finn's, his dad and Finn's mom, <laughs> right. or throw a fit because things aren't going the way he wants to, and all of that stuff, it's very jarring from the put-together, nothing-can-get-to-me Kurt. And I think that's a very interesting mm-hmm. dichotomy because Chris Colfer is the only one who looks like a teenager in the show. Oh, yeah, and yet he's the one who's acting well, like a mini adult. And then you have the rest of the cast who really like do 30. not look they really do not look <laughs> like they are teenagers acting like your typical sixteen year old high school student. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean at the time yeah. I think Chris was the only one who was I mean he was what, nineteen? He was 19 uh, during season one. He was yep. 18 when they filmed the pilot, and yeah. then by the time they got picked up and filmed the rest of season one, he was either had just turned 19 or he was going on 19. I can't well, remember exactly. It's also obvious that he's the only one who looks like he grew into adulthood through the show. Oh, oh my that's gosh. Too. <laughs> I mean, it, well, the rest and, of them don't look, their first episode and their last episode do not look drastically different, but uh-huh. dear God, those pictures on Tumblr where they have, you know, uh, a picture from the third episode season of each one. season, and you're yeah. sitting there going... I know exactly what post you're talking about. Right! I mean, you know? where did your chin come from? This is not... <laughs> Those cheekbones! Oh, Holy hell! All of a That's sudden! That's the rest of you! Right! <laughs> it's a, it's a oh. very sharp difference, and I think that pairing that with him conducting himself as a mini-adult is a, is a wonderful dichotomy. And I mm-hmm. think that maybe that's why it is so startling when he does something that's so inherently not as an adult. Yeah. That because he projects that 
I say aesthetic, for lack of a better word. He projects, Persona mm-hmm. is probably better. Yeah. Persona, he projects that, and he projects it really, really, really well. He seems to that be in control. He likes to not. And when he's not in control, he, he's kind of got a little bit of a, a control freak thing going on. He when he's it. not he, in control. He doesn't know how to handle it. No. And he takes it out on everyone. Uh-huh. Yep. Well, even in this scene, I mean, he's kind of harsh even with his dad and very dismissive. Like, Kurt doesn't want to deal with things when, when they go south. So he's kind of like, please leave. I have to work on my moisturizing routine. Like, he doesn't, he just shuts he, down he completely. He falls into in his ice queen persona that comes yep. out and, and, when And that's hurt. something that he does for all the way until season six. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think that ever is going to really change a Kurt personality no, trait right I, there. I think that, but, I mean, in, in the end, I think uh, after certain episodes in season six, it's something that he realizes that he does and that he works on. But early on, he oh, just yeah. doesn't care. He shuts down and God help anybody who gets in his way yep. because he's done. He, w- he will destroy yep. you. Yes. <laughs> But I also think there are people that get under his skin, too. I mean, I do think Bert, I do think Rachel, I do think Blaine, you know, are able to sometimes penetrate this ridiculously thick shield that he gets around himself. Well, they are well, and because of that, by it. that and, and I Ooh. think that because he lets them get in and get closer, it's harder for him because they have the power to hurt him. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, and I think uh, it also helps that like he lets them in to begin with, too, so they learn to know him. And, of course, Bert knows him the best in, in some respects and, and knows, like, he leaves the scene knowing that Kurt is, you know, that they have not finished whatever's going on here, but knows that Kurt's kind of shut down for He the knows night. when to push so. Kurt and when and to he, back off. Right. Again, mm. one of the best relationships on the show, one of the healthiest relationships on the show. Mm. Oh, Yep. Bert. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we all need I, Bert I say I say with longing, Bert. Um, okay, so going on to there's a the tiny scene where we did talk about it a little bit already about um uh Kurt deciding, Okay, I'm gonna break them up now and not really thinking about, you know, his dad does have feelings for Carol and Carol you know, obviously but has work. feelings for Bert. I mean oh, yeah. she's changed her entire wardrobe, she changed her hair, she's selling her furniture. I mean, she's mm-hmm. in it to win but, it. I mean, she yeah, is. She's, she's she there. is all up in this. She is ready to sell her entire house and move her shit over into to Kurt and Bert's house, and she is and, up in this to the end of the line. So, just to add a, a little bit, or to clarify, at least for me, that she's doing this because she now not only she's met a guy, but she also feels better about herself. Where she says um, to, to you know to. Finn earlier on that they were just like living like two people like roommates and she's kind of awoken and and you know she lets you know Kurt make her over and she feels good about herself. It's great so. with Carol that you never get they never gave the impression that she was changing herself for a man. It was no. right. you know what she I'm, was changing I'm ready herself to because from my winter and declare it spring. You know I'm ready I'm yes. ready to, to spring clean my life and this is. This is great. This is what I want to do. As opposed to some of the other times where they would have, you know, say Rachel, you know, deciding she that she was going to create over... a persona for a man. Oh, yeah. yeah or when, when she let Carol. Kurt make her over because she thought that was going to get her fit. Exactly. 
or Brody or yeah, that whatever. Because <laughs> nobody's and you're not sure you're New Yorker, a New Yorker until you've had your first makeover. <laughs> oh yeah, but no, you get the impression with you get the impression with Carol that you know she's she's ready she, to take this step and it's what herself. she wants to do. She's she's cleaning things up a little bit. Yep. Well, and I think um, Bert kind of comes alive a little bit too. I mean, he does, and not he's, in a, like a physical way, but he's more upbeat in his scenes. Uh huh. He always and seems I, sort of like kind of somber. Early on yeah, in yeah. one is sort of, and, and I think some of that was because we were supposed to read him as kind of a, a hard ass type who wasn't sure how he would deal with having you a know, case. That kind he's, of stereotype. He's gruff and his feelings are way deep yes. down, but he's yes. really a marshmallow, just like his son. And, and <laughs> yep. once he meets Carol, he's like marshmallow 24 7. That man is. You know, tap dancing on sunbeams all all the time. And I I think that it goes back to that, you know, bond over the acid wash. Well, I never thought that acid wash went out of style. Like, you know, she may be changing herself, but it's very obvious from their first meeting that he doesn't see anything in her that she needs to change. Because if he can love your acid wash, (laughs) he, he doesn't care about anything else. You just... You're just oh, pretty awesome. Another reference to um, this show being kind of stuck in the late 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, oh, well, and I think so that it, it's, she definitely does not change herself for Bert, mm-hmm. but meeting oh, yeah. Bert made her realize things about herself yeah. that weren't necessarily healthy. Like she talked about mm-hmm. taking uh, Christopher's urn to bed with her and talking yeah. to it and right. things like that that made her realize this is not how I should be dealing with things. And right. that's where she starts. Okay. I need yep. a makeover. Kurt's right. And okay. Yeah. You know, maybe I should get rid of some of this furniture because it's not healthy for me to hang on to these things. She's and making it was healthier decisions. Yes. And it wasn't right. until she met Bert and started falling for him that she realized what she was doing to herself. And then even by mm-hmm. extension, what she was doing to Finn. Yeah. Right. And I I think also something that's cool about Bert and Carol's relationship, and we probably did talk about this a little bit ago, but just that they're both so respectful of the other one's dead spouse, too. I mean, like, when Bert comes in to talk to Finn, he's like, I'm not going to, I don't want to replace your dad. Your dad's not going to be your father, but I can be your friend. Like, oh, God, my feelings. My feelings. Would you like to watch a game? Of course I would like to watch a game. Would you like to hate on Duke with me? Because everybody does. Oh. (laughs) <laughs> going back to um, before we get to the end going back to the scene real quick though I think what is really fascinating about this is that Kurt's little fantasy crush is not exactly here in, in this, this conversation He's his single mindedness is now a new yep. target about you know my dad is more important to me I need to fix this we need to you know get on this and so he's not flirty in the scene at all mm-hmm. he's very like okay let's get down to business and, and break well, these guys it has up to do with his dad. and if it has well, anything to do with his dad then then dad is number one concern regardless of mm-hmm. fantasy Finn yep so even like when Finn is like I'm sorry dude I don't want to move in you with in with you and and, and Kurt's not really upset about he's that like, no he's whatever just like, I'm, I'm that's fine I don't care because <laughs> he cannot lose his dad. His dad no. is the one constant in his life, which is why later on episodes like Girl Jesus are so gut wrenching for him because oh, yeah. his dad is that one person who's been there for him, especially since his mom passed away. And he, you know, and he talks yep. about that, you know, 
in in season two. But because of that, the idea that he might lose his dad because of something that he did is not something that he can handle. It's not something that he could live right. with. I mean, it's especially since I, you know, for I, I always get the feeling that before the pilot, they kind of. They might have bonded in a way because his mom died, but they kind of grew apart and kind of just coexisted for a long time. And ever since Preggers, they kind of started on this path of, you know, accepting each other, even though Bert did go see um, River, was River it Riverdance, Dance. like, times. You know, he would, he always made the effort, but... Um, he but, made um, an effort kind of, even if he didn't understand it or particularly enjoy it. Right. But... But they weren't. They still weren't close. No. And I think Curtis being to get this closeness with his dad and to it's it's one thing if you like you completely lose it and never really. But he's starting to get that back, and he just desperately does not want to lose Mm-mm. that. So oh. the only thing he can think of is is to get Finn out of there because Finn has gone from being romantic interest to competition. He's a threat because that's a relationship that he doesn't know how to have with his dad. And if his dad has this father-son relationship with Finn. Then what does he need Kurt for? Jumping back in, um, we were talking about, I think we're now coming down to the the end of it, and how, you know, Kurt, and we talked about Kurt and Finn, no, Finn and Bert having this nice heart-to-heart where he's like, I'm not going to replace your dad and whatnot, and all of this really sweet, you know, Finn is really, really scared about his home changing, and he realizes that no, he's gaining a home. And then, I mean, Glee at its, its anvil hitting best has Kurt on that other side of that window. Yeah. It's so obvious. I mean, oh. you know, but, they and, drop and anvils it's so and they effective. like to make it hurt. It's sad Kurt, and sad Kurt is effective. And as over-the-top and ridiculous and on point as it is, him standing on the other side of that window gets me every time. It is I like know. being punched I don't, in the stomach in all is. of your hair. Just, ugh. It is. <laughs> I, I don't remember much about watching this the first time through, because I did watch it live, but I just, I remember this scene and just being gutted, and just like, you know, because you're, you're getting to the end of the op- episode, and you're thinking, okay, they can wrap this up, and they, they just leave it hanging. I mean, to be resolved at a later date, I re- you know. I remember the first ugh. time I watched it. Yelling. I have a, I have a tendency to yell at the TV as I'm <laughs> watching things, and I remember going, "No, no, this cannot. <laughs> you will be okay. I promise you will be okay. No." And, and so even now, as I watch so, it, that's all I think is, "You will be okay. No, this is not all right, but it's gonna be fine. I promise." Yeah, I am. I am definitely I mean, just, a emotional TV watcher in that I like for the shows that I'm watching to make me emote, mm-hmm. but I am the first one to start throwing things if I get upset. So, um. so episodes like this, well, it's it's really funny looking back because in season one, I was very much in into the show as a, um, still, like, uh, as a like ensemble, I didn't really have a specifically favorite character. I was mm-hmm. I was not in fandom at the time. Um, I was you know I would just sit down and watch the show every week and you know maybe get the music and 
if it was a song I really liked. And, you know, just a, a very general audience type fan. And it wasn't until season two that I really started slowly slipping in towards fandom. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. looking back on this episode as now, you know, a diehard Kurt Blaine Klein fan, looking back, it's, it's, it's like we are talking about hindsight earlier, so much of this episode, if I had been a Kurt fan then, like a diehard diehard back then, I would have just lost it. Which is kind of what I did because this was, I was in fandom at this time and I saw myself in Kurt and I, I did not handle it well. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was with people at the time, so I really didn't, but just, I think that sense of loneliness and isolation and to throw it back to the beginning, I, I think this is why Mercedes is not in this aspect of the, the episode. He, he just is so alone and so looking in on this family that he, he wished he had. And all of the other home plot lines get nicely resolved. And the his is not. And Kurt. it's just... They love Sad Kurt. <sighs> they really do. Sad Kurt is so effective. If if Chris didn't do Sad Kurt so well, they wouldn't do it so much. Oh, yeah, but he is super effective. I mean, his his face wears sadness well, which is very weird thing. to oh, say, but... Boy, he, he and, well. and he it's has an hard. ability to convey about six different emotions with one yes. word and one look. Yes. Yeah. Though I have to say, I have a special place in my heart for when Kurt smiles, because it it's doesn't so really, rare. that genuine feel. Oh. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why certain <laughs> things in season two were such a big deal. Oh, it was. No. I just, happy, yeah. happy Kurt is wonderful, and we don't get to see happy Kurt enough. Yes. So, um, wrapping up this episode, um, let's do a shout out to not really having to talk about Will Woo-hoo! and April Rose. Um, <laughs> Although I will say, they are, I, like I said, their reprise of a house is not a home, and I forget what it's mixed with. Uh, I, I think something just called home or uh, something house related. There, there, you know, four walls and a roof. There's, there's, it's a house. Um, that is one of my favorite songs because I just think that they sound really good together. That's true. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the whole montage is really well done. It's depressing as crap, but it's really well done. <laughs> it's very moving, and I love the song, I, and I really think that, it, I mean, it further emphasizes the theme of the episode, but, I mean, I don't really feel the need to, to like, take two hours and discuss no. it. Right. <laughs> Well, and this whole episode, like we talked about at the beginning, it's it's a heavy episode in a lot of respects. I mean, there's a lot of heavy family and, and, and bigger themes, and I, I think that's why it's sandwiched between a Madonna episode and a Bad Reputation episode. And um, But it is just one of my favorites of season one. I, I think it's, it's a very well-done I think that episode. I had forgotten how Kurt-centric this episode was, because... When And when we were talking about doing the podcast, and, and you said, well, what about doing home? And I was like, okay, I mean, okay, yeah, sure. And I was like, well, what even happens in that episode? Because all I could think of was April showing up, and then the end where she sang home in that, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely gorgeous dress, with that stunning jewelry, and that hair that just, mine will never look like that. And, and then you realize <laughs> that the entire episode is basically a sucker punch to the gut for yeah Kurt. And, and and then I got to watching I was like oh it's that episode and oh I figured when I said 
Oh, when I sent you my notes, and they're like three pages long. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to be here for hours. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Oh, yeah, we definitely got to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm so glad, because every time I send out podcast notes, I'm a little nervous, because I'm like, okay, they're going to think I'm crazy, because of how much I get into uh, Oh, yeah, totally yeah. crazy. It's not like we have feels for, you know, for any of it. No, I know. No feels. So. <laughs> no feels. To, to just wrap up this podcast, though, I, I do want to thank you guys for coming on and, and having a great conversation. For this, this home discussion has been really wonderful, so... Thank you so much for that. We just been a blast. For, uh... <laughs> roof off, we're gonna tear the roof off and mother sucker. Tear the roof off, the sucker. Sometimes I think what I need is a you and a venture. Cause I'm a freak, baby. Still